last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I think you're right. I think the answer is Christian McCaffrey. He's 200 pounds. And if he doesn't post Chris Johnson, Jamal Charles level straight line speed at the combine, he's not going to have a successful every down workhorse back comp in the NFL. And And Leonard Fournette's game is going to be picked apart. That's what's going to happen. And he's going to fall into the late first, early second round. Book it. I refuse to believe it. All right, we're going to book it. There are a handful of analysts on Twitter who have Jamal Williams graded as. Oh, no. Wait for it, Matt. Don't truncate this. We got to make noise because it'll truncate this down and it won't be as spectacular. So I'm going to talk. Hey, people don't know what that means. That's such an inside podcast term. Wait for it. A first round prospect. That's what I just said. That's what they say. They say Jamal Williams is a first round graded prospect. (sighs) And I believe he's got Fournette ranked in this draft class as the running back 14, which is (laughs) (laughs) which is outrageous. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me again is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, what is up? The audience is going to be disappointed in us today, Nate. We set the oh. bar too high on the last show. Too high? Too high, you say? Was it, was it the rookie talk? Yeah, people want rookie talk. It's just they want all rookies all the time. Just rookie, 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 rookie talk. Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook, oh, Leonard Fournette, oh, Joe Mixon, and we did it all. We hit all these guys. Just boom, 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 boom. Went all the way to Jamal Williams, Jeremy McNichols, who's actually black. And Jamal Williams, someone has a first-round grade on him. Yes, we talked about all these guys. We gave you what you want, and now they want more because this is the expectation. We put the expectations out there, and we're destined to disappoint. The sad part, Matt, is that I thought we were going to give them more because that's the bone that I have to pick this morning, right here on this episode in the very beginning. Because when I looked at the show sheet about an hour before the show was going to start, I noticed that you changed it on me. What are the origins of that phrase, bone to pick with you? Bone to pick. Why are we picking a bone? Where does that phrase come from, that figure of speech? Not really sure. I actually don't know. I have I have no answer to the question that you posed to me, but back to you. Well, let's let the audience answer. At Sonic Truth Pod, at Roto Underworld. Email us, sonictruthpod at gmail.com. Where does the phrase bone to pick come from? What are the origins <laughs> of that figure of speech? We go history sometimes on them. This is an educational show as Why much as it is Why are we picking bones? I just don't understand that. Maybe it's a fish reference, you know? Maybe it's uh you get catch a fish and you got to pick the bones but out of it. You don't know. So now you're just speculating and it, my guess is that you don't know. My educated guess is that your educated guess is incorrect. Now why are you frustrated about this show sheet? Cuz I spent a good amount of time getting ready to give the people what they want. I'm here on behalf of the people and I thought 
hey, we hit them with the hot takes. We hit them with the rookies, the rookie running backs. People are salivating. They got that big, juicy chunk of meat. This was it. They got all the running backs they could ever want. Right. And I thought, hey, the next week, let's hit them again, bro. But this time, let's hit them with wide receivers. And I had Mike Williams on there and Juju Smith and Corey mm. Davis. Ooh. Oh, man. Mm. And I myself, mm. I was like, oh, oh, oh. Mm. I was, you know, I was thinking, we're gonna, whoa, we're gonna feast. Yeah. Oof, I'm hungry. And then I looked at the show sheet and was all gone, moved. You go to the show sheet and you see Jeremy Lankford and CJ Anderson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what was erect became flaccid. <laughs> it, what once was was now gone. I mean, and... What do you think this is, though? I mean, really, what do you think this is? Do you think that we just are going to give it all up on the first and second date? Is that what people think this podcast is? No. You have to earn it. You have to stick around. We're going to cover a lot of players. Some of them will be the rookies. You're going to get the good stuff some days, but other days... You're not going to get as much action, but you will be pleasured nonetheless. Mm. The entitlement of the podcast audience is always stunning to me. They think that this is like a brothel. (laughs) They think we're easy. That on the second date that they're going to get anal. (laughs) No. You kidding? No. We are respectable. We want to earn your love. I, I see the angle that you're coming from. I, I guess I get that. I, maybe I was putting too much out there. Maybe I wore a shirt that was a little too chesty, pants maybe a little too tight. What are you I probably talking should about? Have. Listen, Corey Davis is the equivalent about? of anal, right? That It's that good. Talking oh, about yeah. Corey Davis would be that good, and it's not going to happen. Not today. You're going to have to wait. Wait, 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 wait. So you didn't just move it down to the bottom of the show sheet. You completely removed it from the show. Here's how much we're going to talk about Corey Davis today. Here's the issue with silence. I don't want to use the word truncate again. I know you don't want me to give away the industry moves, but we might want to throw a little silence in there or something little elongated silence. Who's the producer of the show? Well, in 2016, it was Nate Liss. I'm the producer of the show. I understand the value of comic silence, so don't worry. <laughs> okay. The audience just heard a hell of a lot of silence. That is... <laughs> and I'm cutting all of this out and putting in the outtakes because you're ruining the show now. You're what did behind, I do? Inside baseball, behind the scenes esoteric terminology i'm taking the people again into a world that they're not previewed to on their own time this is just a little a little something if we're not going to give them anal mat let's give them a kiss on the cheek for christ's sakes that's what we're going to give them that's what this show is a kiss on the cheek incumbent running backs that may or may not lose their job in 2017 that's interesting right and yeah it's interesting okay all right all right let's Let's shake it up a bit because I was thinking about this earlier. Thinking back to last year, Matt, what would you say your coldest take of the year was? See, that's interesting. Yes. Talk about my worst opinion, my worst projection. The coldest take of them all, that Jordan Howard is just a guy and that he's no threat whatsoever to Jeremy Lankford. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's a miss. Really? 
You think? I, I mean, yes. Looking at it, yes, that's a miss. But over thirteen hundred think... yards, second in the league in rushing yards. Yeah, ten, that's a miss. Top ten, 10 running back. That's a miss. For... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a miss. Jordan Howard's good. I'm probably guilty, Matt, of uh, a cold take on Jordan Howard, too. I had a buddy who drafted him in a rookie draft with me, and I gave him a ton of crap about it because I thought it was a wasted pick. Kenyon Drake was still on the board. Ooh, Kenyon Drake. Jordan Howard last year was awesome. I mean, even even if you look at just the receiving, which is something that I did not expect to see him produce on this level, 10.3 yards per reception, 29 catches, had a touchdown as a receiver, six rushing touchdowns. And this offense, which really was stymied for a while, couldn't get itself going, went through a rotation of quarterbacks, lost Kevin White, who knows what he'll become, had some of your guys that you touted up before they became something on this team, on the Chicago Bears, there really wasn't anything on this offense that was clicking. And then Jordan Howard was given his opportunity, and he crushed it last year to the tune of 5.2 yards per carry. And Jeremy Langford may not be dead, but it's hard to believe that Jordan Howard is going to give up the reins of this backfield. Jordan Howard was great. 16 breakaway runs of 20 yards or more. That's a new metric on playerprofiler.com. Check out all the new metrics on playerprofiler.com. If you scroll down, we've added additional rows of efficiency on wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs. For running backs, we've added yards per carry against base, light fronts, and heavy fronts. We've added yards after contact, so a lot of new metrics on playerprofiler.com to help illuminate the quality or lack thereof of these players, and they help to demonstrate how good Jordan Howard was last year. He was very good with the exception of one metric. And that ties into a statistic that was a red flag. The 58% catch rate Mm -hmm. was 66th in the league. And even though he was essentially the every week starter for the entire season for the Chicago Bears outside one or two games at the beginning of the season, he could not muster 30 receptions. Less than two receptions per game with one of the lower catch rates in the league by a starting running back. This tells me that he is a between-the-tackles grinder, and he's capable of hitting home runs, big plays, long runs. So in that way, he's what we thought Tevin Coleman was going to be. They're both Indiana running backs, and we thought Tevin Coleman was going to be this home run hitter between the tackles runner. But that's actually not what Tevin Coleman has turned out to be. Tevin Coleman is one of the league's best outside runners and one of the most efficient pass-catching running backs in the league. That was an upset. So Jordan Howard is what we thought Tevin Coleman was. But it's not a pass-catcher. And that, to me, remains a red flag, and a warning buoy for the future. And I think it does give Jeremy Lankford a glimmer of hope because Jeremy Lankford is better in the passing game than Jordan Howard. Even though Jeremy Lankford played very little compared to Howard last season, only a 35% snap share for Jeremy Lankford and only 12 games played, he still had 19 receptions, only 10 less receptions than Jordan Howard. And so if you're better in the passing game than your running back teammate, you're guaranteed snaps. Potentially you can be the featured running back in the two-minute drill package. 
hurry up offense. And that's where a lot of fantasy points are scored. Just ask Theo Riddick. It's conceivable that Jeremy Lankford can develop into one of the league's better satellite backs over the next few years and be someone that's useful in deeper dynasty leagues. So I'm rostering Jeremy Lankford. And if anything happens to Jordan Howard, which it's 50% chance the running back's going to miss games in any given year, and Jordan Howard takes a lot of contact... Jeremy Lankford would become, again, the primary back for the Chicago Bears. And the presence of Jordan Howard actually benefits Jeremy Lankford in that the Bears are not going to be tempted to draft one of these premium running backs in the draft. If they hadn't hit on Jordan Howard, they would be one of those teams people are speculating will be targeting a Leonard Fournette or a Dalvin Cook. But now Jeremy Lankford is safe as the number two back in that offense, which makes him a zero RB candidate in redraft and someone you want to roster in Dynasty because he could have standalone PPR value and his value would spike if anything happens to Jordan Howard. And the one thing that we're not bringing up right now that stands in the favor of Jordan Howard is the fact that this was his rookie season. He is 22 years old. I do agree, though, that it's something totally worth noting because there's plenty of rookies before him and ones that'll come after him that are going to have a catch rate that's significantly higher than this. I could see his usage dipping in the future. I mean, he had 50 targets last year. There's potential for that to go down and a third down running back, like you said, Lankford, who's extremely capable to ascend. But to say that Jordan Howard can never better this catch percentage is definitely hard to predict again as a rookie. But the one thing that stands well, his best out comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Carlos Hyde. And I like that player comparison because like Carlos Hyde, Jordan Howard was not a pass catcher even at the college level in the Big Ten Conference. So there's no reason to think that he'll suddenly develop route running capabilities or elusiveness in space. He's not an electric space player. He's a between-the-tackles grinder and home-run hitter, which is good enough to be second in the NFL in rushing yards if things break right for you. Yeah, he has seven 100-yard rushing games last season. I mean, it's a pretty incredible stat. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely something worth noting. I'm not afraid of Jordan Howard one bit. Um, this this can be bettered. He can be used differently. But I totally agree with you that I would be looking for perhaps Jeremy Langford to ascend in this offense as a capable third down back. And a great point that you made, too, is that because of Jordan Howard, Jeremy Langford's value is insulated a bit because they're probably not looking at a, you know a day two, day three running back unless it's going to be a very late selection because they just don't need the depth. And, you know, it's something that we don't talk about enough, but if you look at Chicago, they've really built a decent O-line, and one of their newest additions last season, Cody Whitehair, helped open up the run game, and that could also be part of the reason why you're seeing a guy who's capable, like Jordan Howard, who's a between-the-tackles home run hitter with enough shift who's finally getting the holes that maybe the running backs before him weren't getting and he's taking advantage of it. So to see Chicago invest in their line and support a running back like Jordan Howard and get behind him and give him these opportunities, he's been a home run for them. I think Jeremy Langford is the guy to probably roster behind Jordan Howard and I really don't believe that Chicago is going to invest much in the running back position in this coming draft. 
Yeah, they got Josh Sitton from the Green Bay Packers, and you can see the graph of the Green Bay Packers run game with and without Josh Sitton, and the Chicago Bears run game with and without Josh Sitton, and as well as Matt Sloss in the center. The interior offensive line for the Chicago Bears is as good as any in the league, and it's been demonstrated by the advanced metrics. 2015, number one in the NFL on playerprofile.com in terms of run-blocking efficiency, and then the Bears were number five in the NFL last year in run-blocking efficiency on playerprofile.com. So this is what you want. If you're Jordan Howard and you're on the Vikings, the worst run-blocking unit, you don't have enough wiggle to escape the backfield and gain positive yards like Jarek McKinnon. You'd be dropped in the backfield a lot. We wouldn't be talking about Jordan Howard at all if he were drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. But because he went to the Bears, an offensive line that's designed to help a running back like him get to the second level and exploit it, well, that's why he will be a first-round pick in redraft this year. But it's also why you need to roster Jeremy Langford because that's what you want in those backup running backs, those in-case-of-emergency break-open glass number two running backs that you roster on your taxi squad and the bottom of your bench in dynasty leagues when you're stocking your team with depth you want the second running back that can ascend with the highest upside high ceiling play if things break right for him and Jordan Howard gets hurt he then moves into a primary back role behind one of the best offensive lines in football that's how upside is cooked Mm. And yeah, if if you look at what having a good O-line does for you, look at guys like Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley behind a good O-line should be great, but he's behind an O-line that really hasn't put it together. And some of these draft picks haven't worked out. Greg Robinson, other guys. Oh, oh, Greg Robinson's. That's a bust. That's a that's a bad bust. And you you miss on some of these guys where teams like Chicago are going out and they're investing money in players like Sitton. And they're bolstering their O-line. And it's good for a team like Chicago. And teams like St. Louis are on notice. Yeah, we have on playerprofiler.com Jeremy Lankford in our top 50 running backs. I think there are very few other services that are going to have Jeremy Lankford in the top 50. But this is the reason why. Because the ceiling is so high if anything happens to Jordan Howard. And we just launched our 2017 premium service. To go along with all these new stats on the player pages, we also just launched our 2017 premium service, which means we've updated the dynasty rankings with all the different contingencies that we can think of. And we also added a cornerback suite. So go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, subscribe to get the rankings and get access to the cornerback pages and all the advanced metrics on cornerbacks. But this is the time to start to curate your Dynasty League team. And the best thing you can do is check out the Dynasty rankings because I guarantee as you're going down the list of running backs and wide receivers, you're going to have some aha moments with players that may be free agents in your Dynasty League and you can quietly pick them up, stash them on your taxi squad, and wait for someone to notice. And one of the players that we have ranked much higher than consensus is Duke Johnson. The problem is Isaiah Crowell also played very well last year. So I think that's an interesting dichotomy. Want to look at running backs on various rosters around the league. Look at some depth charts that I think are interesting. So 
Nate and I have highlighted a handful of running back depth charts to talk about today that are interesting. And the Browns are interesting. They're getting better. They're going to continue to develop their offensive line, continue to improve the run game because they have two talented running backs. And I know that Isaiah Crowell may not be back. I don't know. Right now, they said that the organization and Crowell are sort of going back and forth on what to do with them, but they said that they could use the restricted free agent tender on him and then leave an opening for 2018. Very interesting to see what happens in Cleveland. Do they believe that Duke Johnson is the future at the position, a proper bell cow, and is Isaiah Crowell expendable? And will they potentially lose Isaiah Crowell if another team wants him and submits an offer that the Browns are not willing to match. So the dynamics behind the Cleveland Browns backfield are of particular interest to me. How about you? It is interesting. I mean, it, it, it doesn't seem like a sexy team. The Browns have been bad for so long that it, when talking about these guys may disinterest people, but they're really not looking into it deep enough because these are two different players that get used in two very different ways. Duke Johnson coming out of college, I actually liked this landing spot at the time. There wasn't anybody really in front of him, I thought. I never foresaw Crowell coming out and playing at this caliber. I know he had the pedigree collegiately and his rank coming in, but I, I never saw this. So after the season unfolded and you see how Duke Johnson is being used, when you compare the two guys, Crowell got 198 carries. It's definitely the lion's share of this backfield because Duke Johnson had 73. That's really not that much. I mean, Duke Johnson uses the targets as, as his value in Dynasty. Obviously, he's a pass catcher. 74 targets, 53 receptions, 71.6% receiving percentage, which is great. The issue, though, is that Cleveland seems like they're willing to get behind the big back, the grinder, the first and second downs. And I wonder if Crowell leaves... If they let him go and they don't want to extend his contract, are the Browns a candidate to spend a pick on maybe a sizable running back in this draft, a third, fourth, fifth round running back? Or do they believe in Duke Johnson? Because honestly, to this point, when you look at the workload between Duke and between Crowell, though Duke has produced and been efficient 4.9 yards per carry, he's not being used in the manner of a split backfield in terms of running. If I were the Browns GM, I would let another team pay Isaiah Crowell, and then I would use one of my draft picks on an in-house collegiate running back, Kareem Hunt. That, to mm. me, would be the perfect option. You get a guy in the middle rounds that has the size and a history of absorbing workhorse carries, and you can also, at the same time, then make... Duke Johnson, more of the focal point of the offense. Duke Johnson then becomes the incumbent running back that Kareem Hunt has to cannibalize touches from. And then you let Duke Johnson run like the dog track hair and say, hey, Kareem Hunt, can you catch Duke Johnson? Can you play up to Duke Johnson's level? Because we've also seen Duke Johnson be a workhorse. At Miami, 33%, 71st percentile college dominator rating. The University of Miami, a Division I program, essentially ran their offense through Duke Johnson for years. 6.8 yards per carry at Miami. Let me repeat that. 6.8 yards per carry at Miami. 
That is exceptional collegiate efficiency and 14.8 college target share, 93rd percentile. So he looks a lot like some combination of Giovanni Bernard and LaShawn McCoy. Now, Giovanni Bernard has not proven that he can be the main primary guy. Giovanni Bernard has never earned a full-time opportunity share, but I think this is the year that Duke Johnson can do that, whether it's via a Crowell injury, because Crowell has a violent running style, so he leaves himself exposed to huge hits, or the Browns say, you know what, we're going to spend our money elsewhere, we're not going to spend extra money on running back, if someone wants to overpay Isaiah Crowell, we're going to go ahead and let them, but I would understand why they would want to overpay Isaiah Crowell if you're another team and you feel like that's a missing piece and you have money to spend. Isaiah Crowell posted 4.8 yards per carry on the Browns. On the Browns, they have a below-average run-blocking offensive line, and yet, even though the quarterback was not a threat, defenses still could not stop Isaiah Crowell. And sneaky reception totals this Mm. year for Isaiah Crowell, 40 receptions, Mm 2.5 catches per game. When you compare that to a Jordan Howard or a Carlos Hyde, you start to see, wow, Isaiah Crowell is the equal of a Jordan Howard or a Carlos Hyde, but he's actually more active in the passing game. You can imagine Isaiah Crowell, who himself compiled more than 10 breakaway runs last year. His breakaway run rate was similar to Jordan Howard's on a per-touch basis. Isaiah Crowell was breaking as many long runs as Jordan Howard, but his offensive line was significantly worse Then the Bears' offensive line, you start to think about all the different running backs across the league. Wow, you put it in context, Isaiah Crowell looks like one of the better between-the-tackles grinders in the NFL, but will he have a job next year? I don't know. I think it's all about how much it's going to cost. You know, the Browns have money to spend, but do they want to pay Isaiah Crowell what he thinks he's worth? This may be one of those situations where the Browns say, you know what, go ahead, test the market. See what you can get out there, and perhaps the Browns can give him the best deal. He's not going to yield a contract like Le'Veon Bell. He's not going to yield the future contract that David Johnson or Ezekiel Elliott are going to garner. So he may be a value for them at, at what he will cost. The thing about Duke Johnson, though, two stats for you here that I think most people wouldn't believe if they didn't see the statistics. Number one, last year, Duke Johnson scored one touchdown in the whole year, one touchdown, and it was rushing. It wasn't even receiving. Duke Johnson has kind of become a touchdown-dependent player in most of your fantasy leagues last year. You mean mean reception-dependent? Well, reception dependent. It's no, I don't mean he's not touchdown dependent at all. No, I'm not saying he's touchdown dependent in the sense that you're waiting on him to score touchdowns to put you into a running back one category, but he doesn't score touchdowns. So if you're using Duke Johnson in the hope that you're going to get that bonus six points or four points or whatever your league yields for it, statistics say you're not going to get it with Duke. Because he only had seven red zone carries all year outside the top 60 because Isaiah Crowell is their red zone back. The nice thing about the Duke Johnson, Isaiah Crowell situation, and I was recently in a startup and I targeted both Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson in my dynasty startup. And here's why. Similar to the situation we're seeing with the Bears, the Browns' backfield is insulated from the NFL draft. You see so many running backs' value get completely nuked by the NFL draft. It's the Trey Mason corollary. 
player we're excited about, and then out of nowhere, their team drafts a running back in the first round, and Trey Mason or another running back like Trey Mason, who we're starting to get enthusiastic about, his dynasty value gets annihilated. This can't happen on the Browns, because if they keep Isaiah Crowell, then they're paying two running backs that we know they like. If they let Isaiah Crowell go, then they're bequeathing the job to Duke Johnson. They're saying, Duke Johnson, you're the main guy, and we might bring in a guy like Kareem Hunt or Jamal Williams at worst. That's the worst thing that could happen, and that's not bad for Duke Johnson. His opportunity share flips from 35% to 65% to Isaiah Crowell. It would flip to 60% to Duke Johnson, 40% to a Jamal Williams or an Akeem Hunt. We know that the Browns must like Duke Johnson because they appreciate advanced metrics. And when you go to playerprofiler.com, Duke Johnson, number two in the NFL in juke rate, evaded tackles per touch, 35.4%. That's a big number. What else is a big number? 6.9 yards per touch. So when Duke Johnson is fielding catches and taking handoffs, he's going a long way. He's getting the most you can possibly get out of it. And why is that? Because he's a phenomenal receiver, and he's completely electric in space. And anyone that's familiar with Duke Johnson at Miami knows this. I keep hearkening back to Duke Johnson's days at Miami because he's still that guy. Nothing he's done in the NFL would make you think that he's anything less than what we saw at Miami because all he's doing now in the NFL is eluding tackles and rolling up yards per touch at an extreme rate near the top of the league in both categories. All he needs is a significant opportunity share, workhorse touches, and he becomes an RB1. And the beauty of owning both of them in Dynasty is with Isaiah Crowell, if the Browns believe in him, they'll sign him. They'll match. If they don't believe in him, guess what happens? He goes to another team that's willing to overpay for him, and they believe in him. So wherever he goes, he's going to be insulated from the NFL draft usurping him. So that's why it's my favorite running back tactic of the moment is to acquire both Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell for your dynasty team. The other stat, which could have been driven into the last point you made about Duke Johnson, that, again, I think people would be surprised to hear, is that his longest run last year was 22 yards. So I do agree. I, I love Duke Johnson coming out of college. The guy had short area quickness on film that was unreal. He juked defenders all over the place. He's still making people miss in the NFL. Yeah. But, but he's not running. He's not breaking away 30 yards at a clip. He's not breaking away necessarily 18 yards at a clip. His longest of the Nate, year was 22. There's a website that you should be familiar with. There we go. It's called playerprofiler.com. Now, I understand that Duke Johnson only posted six breakaway runs last year, but because he had so few carries, his breakaway run rate, breakaway runs per carry, was 8.1%. That was top five in the NFL. That's because he's so elusive and explosive. 
and you just go to the workout metrics. 1104 agility score, 82nd percentile from Duke Johnson. So it's all in his pre-draft profile. He's the same guy that we knew was a stud coming out of Miami. I don't hate Duke Johnson, and I don't want it to get spun that way. I love Duke Johnson, but there needs to be a bit of brake pumping. I realize that... No, I refused. No, I. You're I, not my backseat driver. No, I'm just I telling you. To listen to Nate Liss, backseat driver. No, I'm not going to pump the brakes. No, I'm going to step on the gas pedal, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get Duke Johnson. And you better put your seatbelt on. All right. And here's the thing about Duke Johnson. Again, I don't know what the Cleveland Browns' mentality or philosophy is on it. That's the issue with Duke Johnson is maybe they don't want the smaller running back being the lead back. So I don't disagree with your take about roster and both. It's great. You see what happens. Totally fine. Right. And then you can draft Kareem Hunt in the second round. You can cover your bases easily here. What if they what if they let Isaiah Crowell go now and they take Samaj P. Ryan? Then what? Then you got four years of this guy coming in and Duke Johnson just... See, that's the real difference. I like that, actually. I like Samaj P. I mean, it would be a, nice, between right? Between the tackles grinder role with Duke Johnson. I could talk myself into that. That's already Isaiah Crowell. That's what I'm saying. I like the situation for everybody. It's the same reason I've liked Giovanni Bernard ever since he's come into the league, even though he's yet to accumulate workhorse touches. He's been fantasy relevant. He's been an RB2 in fantasy, even though he's played a satellite back role only. All that's missing in Cleveland is offensive efficiency. Once that team starts to sustain drives longer and visit the red zone more often, then all the offensive skill position players will end up scoring more fantasy points. It's just a matter of time. Giovanni Bernard is another interesting one just because of the dichotomy that you have between these two guys. You've got Hill, who again, similar to Crowell, is that first and second down grinder. Then you've got Bernard, who's got that explosive ability as a receiver out of the backfield. And they've given him a lot of opportunities as a running back in this offense as well. The issue for me with Cincinnati is that it seems like they're desperately looking to cling to one of these running backs. They're like begging one of these running backs to take the reins. One game, Hill was leading the carries. And I honestly don't believe that Cincinnati was doing it like New England does, where you don't know if you're getting Blount today, if you're getting Lewis, or if you're getting White. I genuinely believe that Cincinnati just could not get one of these two guys to click on one of these days. And their commitment to any one running back scares me. So as much as I love Giovanni Bernard, and I think he's a better play than Hill because of his PPR ability. Do you love Giovanni Bernard? Because I'm starting to think that you don't. I love Giovanni Bernard as a spatial player that we love Duke Johnson as. I think Duke Johnson is is a better runner than Giovanni Bernard is. But Giovanni Bernard in this offense is perfect. He's had those games where... He's an animal as a receiver, and as a PPR owner, those are the guys that you want to roll out there. Those are your favorite players, the guys that catch the ball. But I think the guy in this offense that we might need to put a little more spotlight on is Rex Burkhead. Yeah, I like Giovanni Bernard because Giovanni Bernard has a high floor, which is inherent in his target share. And I think that that's not going to change moving forward. We know that A.J. Green's the number one receiver. Tyler Eifert's there. But then Giovanni Bernard has staked his claim as the number three receiver in that passing game, and he's always going to be an RB2 in fantasy as long as he's healthy. The question is, is he healthy? We'll see. 
Jamal Charles couldn't come back from an ACL tear last year, so you can get Giovanni Bernard at a discount, and I think the discount is justified. Hill? There's no reason to like Jeremy Hill. Jeremy Hill, for two years, has been one of the least efficient running backs in the league. He fooled us in 2014. Now we have two straight years of inefficient football from Jeremy Hill, and it's only going to get worse for the between the tackles grinder, whoever that is, for the Cincinnati Bengals next year because the Bengals are not expected to re-sign right guard Kevin Zietler. Kevin Zietler was a top 10 guard on Pro Football Focus. There's that's the la- the reason why Jeremy Hill was so successful in 2014 is because the Cincinnati Bengals had the best run blocking unit in the NFL. Jeremy Hill's 2014 felt a lot like Jordan Howard's 2016, but now the Cincinnati Bengals run blocking unit continues to deteriorate as players age and leave through free agency. And the one thing you don't want is a between-the-tackles grinder that doesn't catch a lot of passes who's trapped behind a bad offensive line. So one player that I'm not targeting at all, stay as far away as you can from Jeremy Hill. And that leaves Rex Burkhead. I like Rex Burkhead because he's not a one-dimensional between-the-tackles grinder. He's an all-purpose runner. He's great in the passing game. 85% catch rate was number three in the NFL last year, and his 5.4 yards per touch was top 25. So he's a quality between-the-tackles runner. He gets the job done outside the tackles, and he's great in the passing game, and he has the requisite size, 5'10", 215, to carry an every-down workload in the NFL. We saw it last year. Giovanni Bernard goes down. Jeremy Hill's a game day inactive. What happens? Rex Burkhead erupts in Week 17, 144 total yards and two touchdowns, 28.4 fantasy points. He was the RB3 in Week 17. Why? Because Rex Burkhead's good! He's just good at football! Like, that's it! It's just enough! There's a reason why he's hung around that roster. He's been an active player. He's been a game day active as long as he's been on the Cincinnati Bengals. He's won roster spots in training camp, and then he's been active on game days playing special teams, playing a backup role. Why? Because he's just hashtag good at football. And sometimes that's all that you need to be and hang around and hang around and hang around. And then you might get an opportunity in week 17 to show the world, oh yeah, guess what? I'm a high-quality player, and all you need to do is give me touches, and I'll be fantasy viable every fucking week. That's Rex Burkhead. That's an ode to Rex Burkhead right there. Burkhead was really solid in that game, and also you should also note that that was against Baltimore. That's a good defense. Why? Because he has incredible burst, 128.8, 89th percentile burst score. That takes the vertical jump and the broad jump and then equally weights them into one explosiveness metric. But his agility score was even better. A sub-11-0 agility score for a running back is exceptional. So great lateral quickness, explosiveness. He's great in the passing game, smooth and dynamic. What else do you want in your running back? I don't know. So here's a question for you. This this gets used often, but is this case here a case of a small sample size that we shouldn't use 
to prop up Rex Burkhead? Or is this the small sample size that you're supposed to recognize and say, okay, Rex Burkhead could be this good consistently. This is the guy that I'm supposed to go get. Because there's been times in the past where we use this same sort of situation and say, no, 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 pump the brakes because it's a small sample. So which one is this? We've always thought Rex Burkhead was a quality player, an underrated player that just needed an opportunity. Those of us that have followed Rex Burkhead's career and have understood that he is one of those athletic freaks that's being criminally underutilized, all we needed to do was see it. And then once we are able to see it once, it, he proves that our assumptions about him were correct. So there, the small sample size only confirms what we already believed. So this is the Bayesian process. We're always looking to change our assumptions as new information rolls in. And the new information that's rolling in on Rex Burkhead is only confirming what we already believe, which just gives us more conviction. Jeremy Hill is an unrestricted free agent in 2018, and he's not going to be back with the Cincinnati Bengals a year from now, and he may not have a job in the NFL in 2018. This may be Jeremy Hill's last year in the NFL because I think it's been made clear to every NFL franchise that Jeremy Hill can't play. There's somebody out there that's going to be willing to pay him that money because Lamar Miller got paid that money. Even though I put my heart on the line for Lamar Miller, I was let down significantly. But the thing that I wanted to bring up about Burkhead, do you see Rex Burkhead potentially kind of falling into a Danny Woodhead role? Or do you see Burkhead in this offense as more of a, a feature back, the lead back in this offense? I think it's very possible that Burkhead officially supplants Jeremy Hill on the depth chart. And in week one with Giovanni Bernard still rehabbing a knee injury that Rex Burkhead is the featured back early in the season. So then Matt, a similar situation is in Denver. If we look at Denver and you look at that backfield, you've got CJ Anderson and Devontae Booker. What's your take there? Well, shouldn't we just defer to ESPN expert Mike Clay? Mike Clay has C.J. Anderson ranked ahead of C.J. Proceis mm. and Tevin Coleman in Dynasty Leagues. <laughs> <laughs> right? Let's just defer to him. He clearly knows something that we don't about C.J. Anderson. I'm just going to go ahead and believe Mike Clay. He's the expert. He's the best in the business. I may have a differing opinion. I may like Devontae Booker better, but... I need to realize that his opinion of the Denver Broncos backfield is gospel. Except that Mike Clay is not a Dynasty League expert. Mike Clay made a reputation having highly accurate redraft rankings. Mike Clay is not known for his Dynasty League acumen. And based on what Mike Clay is saying about C.J. Anderson being more valuable in Dynasty than C.J. Proceis or Tevin Coleman... I think Mike Clay needs to stick to redraft. <laughs> After the year that Tevin Coleman had, you know, injuries aside, it would be a surprise to me that anybody would have had C.J. Anderson ranked over him. It's silly. You might say, well, who are you, Matt Kelly? Mike Clay works for ESPN. Are you a Dynasty League expert? Yeah, I kind of am a Dynasty League expert. You know that? There's actually a Dynasty League that consists only of Dynasty League podcasters. So it's a who's who of Dynasty League podcasters. And guess who was invited to be an owner in this league? Matt Kelly. Mm. 
guess who just in the last couple of weeks has appeared on the Dynasty Tradecast, the Dynasty Trade Calculator, the Dynasty One Podcast, and has multiple appearances on the Dynasty League Football Podcast. Matt who? Kelly. Matt Kelly wrote a Dynasty League football guide consolidating all the best precepts and strategies from Jacob Rickroad, Rich Rebar, and many more into a 100-page Dynasty League guidebook. Download it today. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash guides or search Dynasty Dominator on Amazon. If you play in Dynasty Leagues and you haven't read this book, you're doing it wrong. So Matt Kelly knows Dynasty League football better than Mike Clay, evidenced by the fact that I have C.J. Procise and Tevin Coleman ranked significantly higher than C.J. Anderson. We just relaunched our updated Dynasty rankings for 2017. Check them out. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. And there you will see C.J. Anderson. Far below where many others believe he should be valued. C.J. Anderson, who Mike Clay claims is hashtag good at football, but I claim is hashtag bad at football. Because going all the way back to his time at Cal, C.J. Anderson has been underwhelming. When you look at his full season production, it's not impressive. He was outtouched at Cal both seasons by E.C. Safili. He only became a starter because three other running backs ahead of him on the depth chart were injured, including Ronnie Hillman and Monte Ball. You go back through his game logs. He only has one stretch of eight games in 2014 that was at all impressive. And that's the stretch of games that so many fantasy analysts continue to harken back to with this false belief that C.J. Anderson is a high-quality running back. He's not. C.J. Anderson has a below-average athleticism profile and a below-average performance profile on playerprofiler.com. I mean, you pick the metric. What do you want to look at? Do you want to look at production premium? What do you want to look at? Yards per touch? He's outside the top 50. Doesn't matter what efficiency metric you want to use. Now compare him to Devontae Booker. Devontae Booker was actually a dominant college running back. He was not getting supplanted by a scat back during his time at Utah. Devontae Booker, 40.1%, 87th percentile dominator rating, and a 14.3% college target share. That reminds you a lot of who? Duke Johnson. And his best comparable player on playerprofiler.com, no surprise, is LaShawn McCoy because Devontae Booker also has the size that LaShawn McCoy lacks to be an every-down workhorse in the NFL at 5'11", 219. The only thing that was missing from Devontae Booker was offensive efficiency. Trapped in an anemic offense with a bad run-blocking offensive line, no running back can have success in that scenario. So that's why I'm going to continue to believe in Devontae Booker until we can see him paired with a quality quarterback and or an efficient run-blocking offensive line in order to properly evaluate him. The C.J. Anderson hype train is one of the greatest hype trains that I've experienced in the past couple of years. There are people who will go to war to support C.J. Anderson. The conundrum of conundrums for me in fantasy football. It's the thing that I will go to my grave not understanding. I just don't get the fascination. The thing about C.J. Anderson, too, is that he's not a particularly special athlete, and that really does cap the upside. Like you said, the offensive line, 
the quarterback play, the aging, skilled wide receivers on the outside. He's going to get exposed in the middle. And Devontae Booker, we told people about him last year, and people might look at his 3.5 yards per carry and hold that against him. It's something that Devontae Booker can grow into, though, into the next year. Again, this is a rookie season. Guys like this need time to get acclimated to the league. You can't shoot a guy down after one year because if you're going to yell at Devontae Booker for his 3.5 yards per carry and dump him, well, back in 2013, you should have dumped Le'Veon Bell too because he did the same thing. That's right. Devontae Booker was a top five running back prospect across the board last year by consensus. So why are you walking away from him now after he was trapped in worst-case scenario? That's unfair. With C.J. Anderson, we talk about fooled by randomness. Remember that great eight-game stretch that still reverberates to this day that was seared into the collective subconscious of so many fantasy gamers? Do you know why he posted such great numbers during that eight-game stretch? Because the Broncos faced the Raiders' defense twice in the second half, and the Raiders had the worst rush defense in the league that year by a wide margin. So he shredded the Raiders twice, and that propelled his statistics in the second half, made him look a lot better than he actually is, and he's now been exposed for two consecutive seasons, and he still has true believers. And I haven't done much research on his contract, but I think you have. Is there a reason to believe he could be a cut candidate? Yes, I posted this on Twitter that he is a cut candidate, and then Aaron Janowski, at Aaron Janowski, Gavitz, it's very difficult. I can't pronounce it. <laughs> I'm not going to spell it all out either. He just basically says, well, CJ Anderson's not a cut candidate because they just re-signed him to a big contract because they wanted him. Well, a lot of NFL teams have second thoughts about players they gave a lot of money to. This wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> right, Aaron? <laughs> An NFL team had buyer's remorse after giving a player a big contract. <laughs> What are you talking about? Of course they have buyer's remorse because they've realized that C.J. Anderson is just a guy. They're scheduled to pay him $3 million this year. They can save a million three by cutting him. Yes, I understand. That's $1,700,000 of dead cap. Okay, but you can still save over a million dollars by cutting him. And when you can save close to 50% of the contract value by cutting a player and the savings exceeds a million dollars, if that player does not have a good training camp, he is absolutely a cut candidate, Aaron. And let's not forget, we talked about this last year with Devontae Booker. Devontae Booker should have gone a lot higher in the NFL draft. So his draft position doesn't necessarily dictate what outside perception of him was. He had an injury coming into the combine, and some things didn't go his way with the evaluations. But Devontae Booker is a solid prospect from that class, and I would not be surprised if he takes a significant leap forward going into 2017. And let's say for the sake of argument that Devontae Booker isn't good. Well, buying C.J. Anderson is still a bad idea because we keep talking about this incoming rookie class, this impressive group of running backs. Where do you think all these running backs are going to end up going? What depth charts are they going to populate? They're going to go to teams that don't have an established stud running back like the Denver Broncos. These incoming running backs are going to replace the current 
crop of grinders and aging veterans from Latavius Murray to Lamar Miller to Jay Ajayi to Rob Kelly, LeGarrette Blunt, Frank Gore, C.J. Anderson. Those are the teams that these running backs are going to end up on. Dalvin Cook's not going to Arizona. He's not going to Dallas. You start to do process of elimination and realize there's a good chance one of these running backs ends up in New Orleans. Ends up usurping a player that you're counting on. Whoops! I mean, what fictional teams do you think all these running backs are going to end up on that aren't going to threaten your mediocre incumbents that you continue to rely on and continue to rationalize away their poor performance year in, year out? Holding on to them just based on their depth chart position. How many rookie running backs are threats to incumbent running backs this year? We've already talked about a bunch of them in the last show. Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Samaje Pirine, Marlon Mack, Kareem Hunt, Dante Foreman, Jeremy McNichols, Jamal Williams, James Conner. Do you really think when one of these running backs gets drafted that he's not going to immediately be a threat to whatever running back is currently the, in the number one position on that depth chart? Of course they are. If you have Jonathan Stewart, you should be trying to trade him if you can get anyone to pay for him. And the same goes for C.J. Anderson, as well as Latavius Murray. Because Latavius Murray, unlike Isaiah Crowell being a restricted free agent, Latavius Murray is an unrestricted free agent. Latavius Murray is out of there. If he wasn't signed to an extension yet, that tells you that Oakland's not interested in retaining Latavius Murray. Where's he going to go? Where's he going to find a starting job after these 12 running backs get drafted? Spoiler alert, nowhere. No team exists that will be willing to hand over the starting job to Latavius Murray. So if you own Latavius Murray and you're not actively trying to trade him, you're doing your fantasy team a disservice. You are derelict in your duty as a dynasty owner. Nothing, Matt, makes me feel less stable about owning a running back than when he has a sixth round draft pedigree and spent the entirety of his 2016 season getting outplayed by an undrafted free agent and a fifth round running back. That's exactly right. And a running back whose touches were throttled back from a 70% opportunity share in 2015. Latavius Murray posted only a 53% opportunity share. The cat's out of the bag, people! The cat's out of the bag! Oakland's already told us! Latavius Murray is a fake workhorse. We talk about how Lamar Miller is a fake bell cow. Well, Lamar Miller's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller is the original fake bell cow. Latavius Murray is the original fake workhorse. If you didn't sell Latavius Murray after his 127-yard three-touchdown performance against Denver... You're a sucker. You deserve what's coming to you. Yeah, Latavius Murray is the quintessential one-dimensional home run hitter that usually strikes out. But in Dynasty, we do try to fish and find these values and these guys that we can sell. And Latavius Murray had a monster window for a while. There was opportunity there where you could have netted a first for him or you could have traded him for something valuable. Like and Duke Johnson, for example. Like Duke Johnson. That would have been great to have Duke Johnson. You could Imagine that. Imagine someone trading Latavius Murray for Duke Johnson. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Imagine that. Can you imagine that, Fraulein? <laughs> yes. Trading Latavius Murray for Duke Johnson. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. It's still, it's still not out of the question that you could flip Latavius Murray. If you're still holding him, the, the opportunity, the window of which has not shut. However, it is time to sell your stock because you saw the gameplay last year of Jalen Richard. You saw DeAndre Washington. Both these guys posted five plus yards per carry. Latavius was at four. We were talking about this before the show started. Latavius Murray needs a garage door to open in front of him to make anything happen with an O line in Oakland that was spectacular this year. Yes. With Derek Carr, a quarterback who slings it all over the field and makes defenses afraid to load the box. Remember you incorrectly called Duke Johnson touchdown dependent one of the great mistakes in the history of the show? <laughs> oh my god. Latavius Murray is the definition, the quintessential touchdown dependent running back. 40 red zone carries. He was getting three red zone carries per game, which allowed him to compile 12 touchdowns, which ended up being the meat of his fantasy points per game. If you're getting that kind of red zone work and you're still finishing outside the top 10 in fantasy points per game, if you have that offense, if you have that offensive line and you're finishing outside the top 10 in fantasy points per game, then you're not a quality NFL running back, and you cannot expect to win a primary back role for an NFL team the year after posting a season that was that abysmal. So many fantasy gamers will look at Latavius Murray and see an RB1 in fantasy because technically he was last year, but the advanced metrics show, look at the juke rate, 18%, 55th in the league. He wasn't making anybody miss. And when there was a wide running lane, what did he do? He did the bare minimum. Only seven breakaway runs all year. 3.6% breakaway run rate was number 40 in the NFL. So he wasn't helping your team get any additional production. He is the quintessential replacement level player. He belongs in a timeshare where he can be a situational player, come in on short yardage situations, come in in a situation where you want to pitch it out wide, try to open up a, a lane with some zone blocking techniques and give him an opportunity to break a run. Other than that, you don't want him back there. The allure of Latavius Murray is the speed and the size. And Player Profiler has great examples of all this that you can find when you're looking at Latavius Murray. But I think I figured out why Latavius Murray has such issues in the backfield when running. Looking at his picture on Player Profiler, I think he might be cross-eyed, which could definitely be working against him. Hurts his vision. Right, vision, not there. You think that Latavius Murray lacks vision on the second level, that he's missing certain diagonal vectors when he makes it to the second level because he's cross-eyed? Yeah, it works like a cyclops. Everything's funneled down right into the middle. I think that's the problem, and I wouldn't just say it's the second level, Matt. I think the first level's an issue as well. Are you an optometrist? I've seen a lot of them. I, I should be. It'd pay more than what I do. Looked like LeGarrette Blunt was running with his eyes closed in the Super Bowl. Well, LeGarrette Blunt is probably on his way out of New England, so maybe he was focused on other things. The guys still left for now until New England perhaps does something in the draft are James White and Deion Lewis, who both have contracts that are set to expire in 2018. So we know that LeGarrette Blunt is going to test free agency. 
Who knows if Bill Belichick will want to invest the money to re-sign him. But for now, it looks like the future of this backfield is James White and Deion Lewis. I like that. I'm now a James White convert. I liked James White as a one-dimensional satellite back only. I thought that he was good out of the backfield, reliable pass catcher, gets what's blocked, not special. But what he did in the second half when the team was under enormous pressure and LeGarrette Blunt had just fumbled and the stakes were high, James White executed every time the ball was placed in his vicinity. If it was thrown to him, he caught it and he got upfield and he got first downs. If it was handed off to him, he either scored a touchdown or a two-point conversion. He executed. He was the real MVP of the Super Bowl. And I believe that moving forward that he will be a Shane Vereen light asset and absolutely a flex play in Dynasty Leagues, a guy that you should be rostering with confidence, but not someone you should be overpaying. He's never going to have a Danny Woodhead low-end RB1 season. He doesn't have that talent profile. He's not explosive. He's not overly agile. He's below Powell. But Bilal Powell on the Patriots can be a producer if he's the primary running back. But James White was only the primary running back in the second half because Deion Lewis had fumbled twice at Houston and was essentially tilting as a running back, just spin-moving into infinity for two-yard gains. <laughs> Legarrette Blunt fumbles. Who's left? James White. He's Mr. Reliable. You don't overpay for the Mr. Reliable, just a guy prototype, but a guy that has just good but not great measurables, good but not great ability and efficiency. You put him on the Patriots and you give him these high leverage touches and scoring situations. He's going to be a fantasy producer, just not someone you want to run out and pay for as if he could ever be the primary back because he's not. Deion Lewis will outtouch him next year. Deion Lewis is a great value after his value was destroyed. His dynasty value was crippled by the playoffs. No player in all of the NFL had their dynasty stock more damaged than Deion Lewis by the NFL playoffs. So Deion Lewis is a buy for me. James White is a hold. LeGarrette Blunt is a sell. For all the reasons that Latavius Murray is a sell, there's another wave, an influx of RB talent, and it creates a musical chairs situation where running backs like LeGarrette Blunt may find themselves without a chair to sit in, without a role on an NFL team once free agency concludes. I'm glad we agree on this, Matt. I love Deion Lewis. Between the two guys, Deion Lewis is clearly the rare talent. But the He thing was about tilting James, in the playoffs, though. You could tell that he was I know. panicking. He was running as if he was in a panic. This is a guy that came off a significant injury, and his 2016 really shouldn't be held against him. But right. for sure, James White came out with the cape on and became the player that they needed. He he was even on the Shane Vereen level for a while. Some of those games that were so spectacular by Vereen, James White did those same things for them. White has definitely earned himself the potential for a second contract. Even if Deion Lewis takes over a majority of the work, if James White can continue to show the consistency and the efficiency that he did, he's definitely got an opportunity to go somewhere. And Last week, you were talking about what if a running back went to a particular place. James White going to a place like, say, New Orleans would be something that I would be interested in because you take his efficiency, you take his abilities, and you put him with a quarterback like Drew Brees. He's already with a quarterback like Tom Brady. That's They're not going to re-sign move. him. What are you talking about? 
Because I don't believe that New England's going to re-sign James White. They gave a contract extension to Dion Lewis. You mean, oh, they, they might let him go like they let Vereen go. Correct. Okay. They're going to let, okay. let him walk. I can see cause... that. I can see that. I'm still with the Super Bowl hangover. You sure. can't let James White go. <laughs> of course they will. What I think actually could hurt Dion Lewis's value in 2017 more than James White is if New England signs one of these free agent running backs or restricted free agent running backs mm. like the player we talked about earlier. A sneaky destination for Isaiah Crowell is New England could be that Corey Dillon back from 10 years ago. The Cleveland Browns and the New England Patriots have a very close relationship. There's a lot of the player personnel people have history with both franchises. Do not be surprised if we see Isaiah Crowell wearing a Patriot on his helmet in mm. 2017. I may have a differing opinion. I may like Devontae Booker better, but I need to realize that his opinion of the Denver Broncos backfield is gospel. Mike Clay is not a Dynasty League expert. I think Mike Clay needs to stick to redraft. Matt Kelly knows Dynasty League football better than Mike Clay. Butler, they have to keep. Remember that play that he made in the Super Bowl? Stop it. Stop. <laughs> With a Super Bowl hangover, you sure. can't let James White go. Of course they will. You don't carry umbrellas? No, never. What? Never. Nobody uses an umbrella in the Pacific Northwest. Nobody. You just don't use them. It's all rain parkas? I guess. Hoodies, rain parkas. You just, you just learn to get around in the rain. It's every day. But the rain that's going on out there right now, Matt... The rain that I just looked out the window and saw, you grab a golf umbrella for that kind of rain. That is justifiable amount of rainfall right now. It is coming down. A deluge? I'll tell you what, I should take some video of it and post it on Twitter because shit's going to start floating down the street in a second because that's how much we're getting. It's flood season here right now. If you want to post a tweet that gets zero likes and zero retweets, <laughs> post a tweet of rain. I feel like this is some elaborate rationalization for you being bad on the show. I don't understand. I think this started with uh, me trying to justify why I sounded so terrible. Yeah, you just... start these shows with these elaborate excuses <laughs> to justify why you're not going to be able to contribute as much as normal. But after so many shows in a row of you not contributing very much, the normal, it's already I... low. I'm That's just the telling you anyway. So it's, I not, haven't. What are you accomplishing by explaining for the 20th show in a row why you're not going to contribute as much? 
But yeah, I've made some excuses in my day on this show. Sure. Sure, better than 75%, maybe. But this time, this one here, it's legit. And it's rainfall. One of the consequences of the increasing temperatures around the globe, and this Mm -hmm. is obvious once I tell you, is that there's more evaporation when the temperatures are higher, which means more clouds and more rain. There's more precipitation as the temperature rises. Yeah, no, you're making a great point there uh, with the Bill Nyish information. What I really need is an amphibious vehicle because the shit that's going on right now, I just turned and looked. I mean, this is not normal. What's going on right now? Aaron Janowski at Aaron Janikovic. It's very difficult. I can't pronounce it. (laughs) I'm not going to spell it all out either. I know that we really piqued your curiosity last time with the rookies, and I know you got real charged up and you're excited. You know, you're erect. I get it. All right. Right? Now you want a happy ending with the wide receivers, and we're not going to give it to you. All right. But we can't just give it all up on the second date and just go straight to rookie wide receivers. That'd be like take a girl out dinner and a movie and she decides to have sex with you and then you thinking that on the next date take it to a nightclub and it's time for anal look no that's not how it works all right hold on on. okay we're not some floozy okay you have to work for you have to earn this beaver looking at his picture on player profiler i think he might be cross-eyed are you an optometrist and I, myself, I was like, oh, oh, oh. Because they just re-signed him to a big contract because they wanted him. Well, a lot of NFL teams have second thoughts about players they gave a lot of money to. This wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> right, Aaron? <laughs> An NFL team had buyer's remorse after giving a player a big contract. <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course they have buyer's remorse. Because they've realized that C.J. Anderson is just a guy. And I, myself, I was like, oh, oh, oh. What fictional teams do you think all these running backs are going to end up on? That's how upside is cooked. Mmm. In The Last Starfighter, when they hit that one button in The Last Starfighter and the the plane just goes in all directions, shooting in all directions. (laughs) I have no idea. I don't even know this reference. Well, I did... You don't know the last Starfighter? No. Jesus Christ! I'm a busy man, Matt. No, it's. <clears throat> Never mind. And I myself, I was like, oh, oh, oh. Mmm. Don't ever talk shit to me. Who the fuck do you think you are? I don't have to justify myself to you. Are we gonna? We're going to a whole new level. You want level. me to explain this to you? I'm sorry, I don't have time to teach you how to use PlayerProfiler.com and look past fantasy points per game. I'm sorry, I don't have the time to teach you and explain exactly, go through the entire process of breaking down Duke Johnson and why he's better than his statistics might indicate. Just explain to him why Kenny Britt's underrated, why Duke Johnson's underrated, and give him precise instructions for taking his head out of his own ass. Mmm. <laughs> mmm. Mmm. Oh, yeah. Latavius Murray. He's trash. Yeah, he's not good. <laughs> yes, he's a garbage <clears throat> man. 
He's a garbage can on wheels. I mean, I'll give him that. I mean, he's a At garbage a can, with, and his wheels are very lubed. Like, it's been oiled very fast going downhill. Jeff Miller would crap his pants if you he heard this. Die on this hill. Jeff Miller dying on the C.J. Anderson hill. Cannonball hey. would land on him. No one can take away that eight-game stretch in 2014, Jeff. Here's how much we're going to talk about Corey Davis today. Here's the issue with silence. I can't tell when you're stopping or starting. I'm talking over well, you and shit. I've been doing the hand to you, and then you've been just like giving me silence. That's how upside is cooked. Mmm. Oh, oh, oh. Let's hit him with wide receivers. And I had Mike Williams on there, and Juju Smith, and Corey Davis. Oh man. And I myself, I was like, oh, oh, oh. I was, you know, I was thinking, we're gonna, whoa, we're gonna feast. Yeah. Oof. I'm hungry. Mmm. Oh, oh, oh. You go to the Hurt show sheet and you see Jeremy Lankford, CJ Anderson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what was erect became flaccid. <laughs> what was erect mm. oh, oh, oh. became flaccid. Do you think that we just are going to give it all up on the first and second date? Is that what people think this podcast is? No. You have to earn it. You have to stick around. We're going to cover a lot of players. Some of them will be the rookies. You're going to get the good stuff some days, but other days you're not going to get as much action, but you will be pleasured nonetheless. Boom, 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 boom. Big juicy chunk of meat. The entitlement of the podcast audience is always stunning to me. They think that this is like a brothel. They think we're easy, right? They think that we're fantasy whores. That on the second date, that they're going to get anal. <laughs> no, I'm just I refuse telling you. to listen to Nate Liss, backseat driver. No, I'm not going to pump the brakes. No, I'm going to step on the gas pedal. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get Duke Johnson. And you better put your seatbelt on. Imagine Re- that. Imagine someone trading Latavius Murray for Duke Johnson. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah. Yes, uh, imagine that. Can you imagine that, Fraulein? <laughs> yes, trading Latavius Murray for Duke Johnson. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Big juicy chunk of meat. What was erect mm. oh, oh, oh. became flaccid. We are respectable. We want to earn your love. Corey Davis oh, is the equivalent about? of anal. Big juicy chunk of meat. What was erect Mmm. Oh, oh, oh. Became flaccid. This may be Jeremy Hill's last year in the NFL because I think it's been made clear to every NFL franchise that Jeremy Hill can't play. That's the bone that I have to pick. Big juicy chunk of meat. What was erect? Mmm. Oh, oh, oh. Became flaccid. And it's time for anal.